Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Sports Psych MDs podcast. This is episode number 16, Identity and the Athlete. Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today, Dr. Trojo and Dr. Hose, we're talking about everything what identity. Up? That's and right. And how does it relate to the athlete? I think what spurred this on was... Hi, my name is... We're in the middle of my name is the athlete empowerment movement right Slim now. Shady. Yep, that's right. Athlete empowerment movement, which is all about reshaping the image of the athlete. They're more right. than just an athlete. More like LeBron said, and we're going to get into a little bit of Sigmund Freud, talking about his id, ego, and superego. Good old trifecta, What yeah. makes up the identity. We're introducing psychological flexibility as well. Right. And how important that is. How important that is for being an athlete on the court or field and off the court and off the field. And we're going to talk about all of that and how that all translates into the identity mm-hmm. of the athlete. We got to do this, um, whatever podcast app you use. Is this a public service announcement? Yeah, whatever podcast app you use, please, if you don't mind, subscribe, like, rate our podcast, retweet it, you know, do what you got to do. We're not desperate or anything. Please. All right. <laughs> um, but enjoy. No, we love Do you feel me? Do Identity. Identity and the athlete. That's right. Yeah, man. So we've been talking a lot about, and I think the sports community uh, as, a, as a whole has also been talking a lot recently about this notion of the image of an athlete and you know how athletes are portrayed by mainstream society. Shut up the, and dribble. By the media. Right, I think the Colin Kaepernick situation really shook things up. I think that it has caused several among us, you know, who love sports and, of course, athletes, to just kind of like ask ourselves some questions. You know, like moments like Kaepernick uh, are important for many different reasons, and I think one of those really important, most important reasons, perhaps, is it's an opportunity. To reflect. And I think uh, one of the ways that it, it's kind of changed the way people are thinking, particularly athletes, is it's caused them to, to reflect on their image to the world, right? How they want to be portrayed. How they want to be portrayed. How what they much, want to stand for. Yeah, how much they want society to know about them. Mm-hmm. At what point did athletes transcend sports and become community leaders public figures since the beginning right famous actors and actresses absolutely spokesmen it's always been a part of the deal at the professional level especially yeah dating back to probably like what babe ruth i mean we've talked about jackie robinson muhammad ali these are icons not just within sports but they've transcended sports and been leaders for things like civil rights movements Mm -hmm. so this yeah you're right it's started essentially with the birth of sports it did it did and you know honestly in some ways and not to get all hokey but it's sort of the undercurrent probably existed far beyond that i mean we're talking about like the original gladiators yeah you know and why do you think that is i personally think it's because as a kid you learn best from playing and sports are an extension of that and a lot of people play sports as a kid not a lot of people can go on and play sports and make a living playing sports but we there's that connection there with athletes because Armin and I at one point in our lives played basketball Mm -hmm. played football played baseball I don't know if you ever played hockey I played a little uh roller hockey no we like our our kind of like specialty sport in uh-huh. Maryland was lacrosse. Okay. That you was like the out of the Did box. You play? Never played it, uh-huh. but yeah, it was kind of a big deal. Okay. You know, some people played that. Yeah. And I'm sure you watched it as a kid. You, Lo- yeah. Absolutely. I don't know if you ever picked up a tennis racket, golf. I did. I like, did. I, all these things are accessible yeah. for a kid. And I think that's why we feel maybe so connected to these athletes. Um, and we idolize them because mm-hmm. they're playing at children's game and making loads oh, of yeah. money oftentimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one reason. But take it a step further. I mean, let's think about some of the, you know, the the most exciting moments from like high school and college. It was going to like the football games, you know, oh, yeah. the tailgate parties, Little Friday you know, night lights in high games. school. You know, if you had a good whatever team, let's say a track team, you know, the track. 
you know, like those competitions where it's like this team, this individual player even is representing the school, you know, representing you and your friends and, you know, everything you guys, you know, stand for. And, Mm -hmm. and they're out there, you know, working hard, right. Putting their all on the line for the sake of the team, for the sake of the, you know, the school. Yeah. And have you ever had a greater feeling than the feeling of being, you know, football stadium was packed, a big game in a big moment and, you know, guy scores a winning touchdown. I mean, the way the crowd just erupts. Come together, you're high-fiving people next to you that you don't even know. You're hugging people. Maybe you're kissing people. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, it's a great feeling. And it's infectious. And, you know, the energy is moving. And, and, you know, it, it creates this sort of, like, fanfare and folklore and you know the guys obviously on the field or on the court they're getting the glory oh yeah they're right in the center of it and i think it it boils down to as humans we want to feel connected Mm -hmm. to other humans and what better way than through sports Mm -hmm. through something that we a lot of people have been a part of since we were kids but it's just that that camaraderie you share that sense of community and that's biological so that's why i think a lot of individuals are attracted to sports and at a young age, you play these sports, and then there becomes a nostalgia to it. Some of our Armin and I's best memories as kids are either playing or watching oh, sports. No doubt. So that's going to carry over. It's been kind of reinforced over the years that when I watch sports, I'm in a good mood. And maybe that started as a kid watching sports with your family members or playing Man, sports with your best friends. As I am at this stage of my life, you know, I still reserve a good chunk of my Sunday afternoon and evenings to football, to NFL Sunday, you oh, know. Yeah. It's huge. It's like an event for me. I look forward to it. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm glued to the TV on Saturdays watching Tennessee volunteer football team, even though they're hot garbage, but I still ride and die with them because it's nostalgia. I I used to watch T. Martin and Peyton Manning back in the day. So it's in our DNA to be sports fans. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I don't think it's a stretch to say that because it's just about being connected, connected to our past and also connected to those around us and the people that we watch on TV. So, sure. and, and all of these things go into shaping the image of the athlete. Yeah. You know, the experience of the fans. And, you know, the experience of the fans, it creates expectations, standards. And those are things that are ultimately going to possibly lead to pressure. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of judgments we put on these athletes. Before we get into kind of the foundation of this episode, which is identity. I wanted to mention it's changed over the years since I've been watching sports. As a kid, I'm watching sports. These are my superheroes. I'm idolizing these guys, King Griffey Jr., Barry Sanders. I'm like, holy crap, these guys are superhuman, amazing people. They're not even human. They're superhuman. And then you get older, and now I get into college, and I'm watching college athletes, and I'm like, okay, these guys are my age, but they still seem a lot bigger, stronger, faster, and still do seem superhuman. And then you get to the point where we're in our 30s and we're watching sports and, wait, these guys are human. Well, yeah, and at our age now, I mean, a lot of them are kids exactly. compared to us. So now, <laughs> now, yeah, exactly. We're getting, now I'm, I'm getting to the point where most of the majority of the players in the NFL and NBA are younger than me, minus mm-hmm. Tom Brady um, and LeBron James. I'm younger than him. Uh, but it's, it's different now because now we have this perspective of being adults and I don't know about you. You were a little bit more mature, so maybe you had this perspective when you were a kid watching these athletes, but a lot of them have their own off-field issues and stressors just like we have. No, all of them do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, they're human. You yeah. Know, and, that, and that's really, I think, been one of the the major themes of a lot of the, you could, I think it's fair to say, movements that have come up among athletes in various sports to reshape the image of what it means to be an athlete, right? LeBron James is the ambassador for the more than an athlete movement, okay? You have the, uh, for example, the Glass Helmet Project, right? Uh, From uninterrupted. Exactly, for the uh, NFL athletes. The mission is they will be seen. They will be seen, right? Um, And, you know, there's the, uh, the, the shop, right? LeBron and his entertainment team. The boardroom. Have put together KD's number two boardroom. Don't laugh. And uh, yeah, I mean, when you kind of like peel back the layers, you know, of what these shows are are trying to accomplish is I think it's about 
giving the athlete a voice, an opportunity to promote who they really are, you know, like off the court, off the field, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, what, what we have seen is that the media has controlled the narrative, right? That, that's what I think really struck home with a lot of these athletes when it came to the Colin Kaepernick situation, right? Is because, you know, the, the court of public opinion, right? Uh, social media, and, you know, frankly, the media as a whole, as an enterprise, really seemed to kind of shape this narrative about Colin and, and about, you know, what he was trying to do. That, you know, I think we have seen now uh, was probably a bit unfair. Well, they made him a political figure, essentially. Yeah. And divided the Is this country. martyrdom kind of thing? And, um, yeah, I think the original goal was really just to, to more bring attention to this whole matter of the police shootings, mm-hmm. you know, of unarmed black men that was happening. Obviously, you know, the Trayvon Martin thing is a big influence there and the variety of other shootings that have happened. But in, in that was a, what, I, what, what I remember. That particular event really triggered a, the cascade, you know. Um, and it turned into a, a blue versus red kind of argument, black oh, versus yeah. white and, in a lot of cases. You know, I think his methods were obviously controversial. Um, <laughs> you know, that goes without saying, you know, and I'm not going to comment on whether or not his methods were appropriate as a, you know, not only a patriot, you know, but as a, a former service member, you know, uh, Air Force officer, not, not only am I proud to be an American, proud of my service, uh, you know, and I can say that, you know, I defended that flag. I was in the belly of the beast, so to speak, you know, in the desert, you know, during the, the height of the Iraq war. So for me, you know, it, it is a very important issue, but in spite of that, I don't necessarily find Colin's actions to have been particularly offensive to me. Um, you know, I think that I don't want to go too far on this because yeah, I know but, it's a really sensitive. But I topic. see you're living in the gray. You can see both sides of it, and yeah. you can realize that someone like him can can make a stance for something, and it can be both good and bad. I don't think we have to get more into it than that. But yeah. I mean, what we're going to get into today, and what I, you know, I, I hope our regular listeners will take away from this, is identity of an athlete is important. Therefore, image of the athlete is important. Okay, yeah. it's critical. And I'm of the opinion, if you know, if a person is endeavoring to go into a certain profession, right? Like we chose the profession of medicine. Right. In doing so, we, we had to accept certain responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Right. For example, uh, confidentiality. Like we agreed to you know, keep uh, everything that we discuss with our clients, with our patients, confidential. Right. We are duty bound. Well, the, our medical ethics, we have that oath. Right. It's like respect for autonomy. Mm-hmm. Beneficence. Non-maleficence, which yep. means do no harm, and then justice. That's right. So those are the those are our ethics that we're bound by, and not only that, but that's within the arena of patient care. But we're well, also signing up to be pillars of our community in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, people yeah. look up to physicians, right or wrong. There's a certain level of professionalism that you kind of take on choosing a profession like this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's like this, like you know, sort of perpetual Good Samaritan rule, you know, like I remember I was on a plane a few months ago, you know, and, and, and you know, someone started to Is there a uh, doctor on board? Altered, yeah, altered state of consciousness. They were losing consciousness. They were becoming confused. You know, they were potentially, you know, going to... Delirious. Exactly. And they, as you said, they asked for, you know, who's the doctor? I was the only one that raised my hand. There was another person in the front, but she was a nurse. So mm-hmm. It was just the two of us. You know, we had to hop to it. And, you know, it's like I, there were expectations, you know, that I was going to come through in that situation. So you know, even off-duty, you still have expectations Absolutely. too. And, and I say all this to say that uh, all professions have a set of ethics, right? 
that the men and women who choose that profession agree to, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that we live in a day and age that the profession of the athlete, right, is one that because of the influence that they have. Huge um, influence. Exactly. Who has more influence than LeBron James? Very few. You know, and it, it doesn't even have to be on the level of LeBron James, you know. I think for most professional sports, any member of the team, by virtue of representing that team, you know, has a, a big impact, Absolutely. especially on the youth in that community. Any person from my hometown that went on to play college sports and was successful, they represented my hometown. Exactly. And they come back to that hometown and they get uh, showered with, with love and appreciation. You're a representative of your community mm-hmm. and of your family and, and of your sport. And and Armin and I both looked up to these guys on, on the television screen, um, but also in person, probably going to local games. And these guys are, are superstars in a lot of kids' eyes. And they're idols. They really are. They really are. They're superstars, man. They're icons. Um, and they're, they're models, models of success, right? They're all of these great things. And so, yes, image matters. You know, it, it matters a lot. And there is and, and should be a professional identity associated with being an athlete that, you know, frankly, we all can be proud of, you yeah. know, because we want our children to model themselves off of, you know, folks that, we take pride in, right? Mm-hmm. And in terms of their values, you know, their ethics, how they live their life. People who are successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not, before we get into like the seeds of what identity means, because we're going to talk about a little bit about Freud. Uh-oh. Each athlete can go about this differently. We're not saying that every athlete needs to be a LeBron James and needs to have a show called More Than an Athlete and needs to speak up on injustices. We're not necessarily saying that. Because you're, you're putting your neck out there because ultimately when you express an opinion about something or your belief about something, um, especially if it has to do with politics, now nowadays everything's politicized, mm-hmm. you're going to ostracize a certain sect of the country, of the world. And unfortunately, we live in a society where people see black and whites, where, where everyone's very tribal, just as when you go to a stadium and you're and you're watching like uh, Packers versus Bears, if you're a Packers fan, maybe you, you're going to curse and, and uh, throw beers at the Bears fans. That's a little extreme. But people tend to do that now with political views. Like you're on the other sure team. I'm pretty sure it's happened several times before. Yeah, you're on the other team. I don't, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with you. It's like I'm a Packers fan, you're a Bears fan, screw you. I'm a Democrat, you're a Republican, screw you. I'm not listening to anything you say because you're on the other team. Unfortunately, we live in a society that's like that. So whenever you speak up on certain things, you're going to risk alienating a certain sect of the community. And at the same time, you're almost wasting your time with that part of the community because a lot of those people are invalidating you because you're on the other team. So what you're saying doesn't matter. Ideally, we, everyone gets to a place where you can still get along with people that have opposing ideas and views. I think we're, we would live in a better place if everyone were, was a little bit more understanding when it comes sure. to that. Um, we're not saying that every athlete needs to, needs to put themselves out there. If they prefer to go into work, do their nine to five, get their job done and go home. Maybe they don't want to kick it at the water cooler and have small talk or talk about what what'd you do over the weekend, Jim? Oh, how are your kids doing, Sally? Maybe some people don't want to do that. Some people just want to do their job and go home and that's fine. And I think athletes deserve the right, just like anyone else to do that. But certainly since you're in the spotlight, you, there's a way to do that in a respectful way. I think Kawhi, oh, absolutely. Kawhi Listen, Leonard's a perfect example of that, where he doesn't put a lot of his personal stuff out there. Right. And and he's still one of the faces of the NBA. And then you have other people who go about it, like LeBron James, and he's putting himself out there, and he's still w- beloved. Listen. And he does it the right listen, way as well. The right way. So there's the a... The right way. No, that, that's it. That's the, it's the right way. There's multiple ways to do it the right way. Multiple ways. To, I, I totally agree with you. Okay. 100%. And here's the thing, man. Um, we, I think one of the ways that we can all kind of start to transform this identity crisis, if you will, you know, that exists among athletes is to, to reconcile this, this one really important principle, okay? It's not just about winning. Winning, yes, is obviously 
the most important thing. Okay, I'll give you that. It's 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 what it all comes down to, right? But there's so much more to it than just that, okay? Because it's about not just winning, but winning the right way, okay? The right way. And so what I want my kids and what you want your kids to be consuming, right, in terms of this entertainment, these sports, these athletes, as fans, possibly as players themselves, you know, in terms of how they model Mm -hmm. themselves, is... You know, you want them to take from it the hard work, the discipline, the sacrifice, the blood, the sweat, the tears, right? The we've teamwork. Had a, we've had a couple of college athletes on this podcast, and the, the dedication, the, that work know, ethic that those guys have, woo. all of that. Like that's what we want them to take from. Yeah, you know, that's why we care. That's why we watch. It's about the process, right? Yes, it's about winning, right? But no one wants to see somebody when who who didn't do it the right way who, who like for example cheated you know or like patriots in, or like in the case of police <laughs> anyway we're gonna have to take, take that shit out um or in the case of like lance armstrong for example right the guy is almost undoubtedly even in spite of what he did the greatest cyclist of all time i mean come on like he won seven however many tour de france mm-hmm. in a row but he'll always, there'll always be an asterisk. Yeah. Because he didn't do it the right way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is what people need to understand. These athletes need to understand that what, what the fans really care about is, yeah, you know, it's, it's winning, but it is how you go about the process well, of winning. Depends on which fans you ask. I think Boston fans may. Uh, have a differing opinion when at all costs. But I'm going to put my my neck out there a little bit. I'm a huge Pittsburgh fan of all sports teams, Penguins, Pirates, Steelers. And a huge Steelers fan, obviously. I went, I went to the Super Bowl back in uh, 2006 when we beat the Seahawks. Willie Parker, fast Willie, with a night, uh, longest TD run in NFL Super Bowl history. Anyways. Um, Is that Jerome Bettis team? Yeah. This is his final season in Detroit in his hometown. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Legend. One, I think I don't know if it was that year or the year before where he just they, they were playing at the Bears and he just ran over Erlacher and stepped on his face. Oh snow. yeah, I, I no, a, it was it was great. I have a picture of that on my wall. Probably he, one of the yeah, probably one of the greatest fullbacks of all time. Fullback. He's he was a running fullback. back, dude. Come on, he don't was a fullback full size. But let me well in, Co- in Notre Dame, yeah. he was. Let me talk but about this real quick because Jerome Bettis. I just want to say yeah. this: the bus. I had his rookie card and I remember that was one of my prized possessions his you have his jersey oh, oh here yeah, we go look at this guy right <laughs> he's, he's putting up number 36 oh yeah I was just at the Colts uh, Steelers game that's couple, awesome a couple of weeks ago nice victory the defense is coming on why strong why don't people do football baseball cards anymore man they were uh, I have uh, they were great dude. you know you get them in the I glass case old school Willie Mays cars worth, worth a lot of money Shaq rookie card that's another was it position. Beck, Beckett's was the magazine anyways you have you have a quarterback who Ben Roethlisberger who had some off the field issues a couple different incidents I won't get into the details there but yeah, let's not do that for me as I grew older it made rooting for him more difficult because I can't separate the athlete on the field from the individual from the identity of the person and yeah. i still rooted for the Steelers but they're led by Big Ben who is he's a good quarterback he's won a couple Super Bowls um, I do think the beneficiary Hall of, of Famer yeah he will be beneficiary of great defenses when he won those Super Bowls but you get to a certain point and as I get older I like the stories behind the athletes so I find myself rooting more for certain athletes that have good Absolutely. stories and are doing it the right way. Like, Absolutely. Like a Kawhi Leonard. Like underdogs, like Victor Oladipo, who I, I went to Indiana University, and so did he, and he was a three-star recruit, and he built his way up to the second pick in the draft, and now he plays for my hometown, Indiana Pacers. So I'm finding myself gravitating more towards the individuals that I feel like are doing it the right way versus my team that may be filled with certain individuals that I don't think are doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. 
And I still love the Steelers. And like I said, I was just at their game and they beat the Colts. So I'm going to root for them regardless. But it makes it a lot easier when you actually like like good guys around the team. Well, when they represent your values. Yeah. Everyone does their thing. Everyone should be able to do their own thing, live life according to their own whatever. You know, like you, you should be able to dress how you want to dress live more or less, you know, how you want to live, you know, in terms yeah, of style. Yeah, freedom of expression. Be expression, who you, you all are. that stuff. But I do believe, and maybe this is the, you know, the military guy and me from, you know, years ago, but just kind of coming out. I do believe in core values, you know, like that that we all should share, you mm-hmm. know, just core principles. And I, and I feel like the ambassadors, you know, the people at the kind of the quote unquote top of the food chain, meaning those that others look up to, which include athletes, right? I believe that that we have an obligation, you know, to represent those values, to be people who others, those that look up to us considered as a reflection of the values yeah, that you, we all share. You want to model that good behavior because yeah. people are watching, people are paying attention. So you want to go ahead and dive into little Freud, little Sigmund Freud? Yeah, for sure. So, um, so the Sigmund Freud came up with these kind of three components the of, of the identity. No doubt. And the first one is id or ID. People call it id. I, no one's ever called it ID. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the primitive instinctual component with, inside us. Yeah. Where we're hungry, we're gonna eat. We're angry, we're gonna fight. It's the it's the impulsive. <laughs> we're horny, we're gonna yeah yeah we're gonna go beans deep. So you're guided by the pleasure principle, essentially. Oh yeah, it's it's in within all of us. That's like buried deep within each and every one of us. So that's it is that's your and prim- literally primal core. It is the what we call sub cortex of our brain. So. Um, it's the the underbelly of our cortex we call the subcortex, right? That's where uh, our emotion regulation center, which we talked about before, the amygdala, yep. sits. Um, we talked a lot about that in the substance our, use episode. Absolutely. And, you know, our cingulate gyrus, right? I'm not sure if we talked about that before. No worries. But that is uh, an anatomical component basal ganglia in which yeah a lot of our emotion regulation is happening and that's important because our emotion regulation is is really uh, a core feature of the id and what's happening with the id so we're right? everyone so we're all born with our id that's biologically kind of predetermined and it can, and it can i don't know if we'll get into this today but it can be kind of altered based off of different like adverse childhood events and traumas and different things can affect that kind of amygdala and, and basal ganglia but that's the primal kind of the primal center of each of us and then you have the superego Oh, you're going straight yeah. to the I top. I want to go to the top, and then we'll finish with the middle. Ooh. So the okay. super eagle is like our ideal self. All mm. are like hopes and dreams of what we could be in the future. Or what we think others want us to be, right? Um, you know, trying to meet the expectations of others. Yeah. You know, like take, for example, a quarterback. Say a guy named Andrew. All of a sudden, you know, he's picked number one, you know, among this group of guys, you know, to lead a team um, that has big shoes to fill, mm-hmm. right? So is it that superego that makes him wear, like, a three-piece tailored suit to the draft day, mm. get the nice high and tight haircut? Whatever you got to do. Be really polished or is it during his interview, thanking God and his family, all the right it's things. It's kind of what society and, and our parents a lot of times will will present to us as the stand, the gold standard of oh, how yeah. you should act and behave. Oh, yeah, absolutely, especially when you're number one. And that gets integrated into us as our superego. That's right. And then when the superego and the kind of id hmm. mash together, then you get your ego, which is kind of the decision-making component, which That's is right. it's in the, front. the prefrontal cortex prefrontal right in the front right behind the forehead okay anatomically that's where you know our decision making capacity 
uh, and our judgment. Our impulse control. Impulse control. We talked a lot about in the substance use podcast. We about did. That's the one that still growing until we reach the age of 26. And that's why we make a lot of mistakes as a teenager. That's right. Do risky, stupid things. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's our voluntary control center, voluntary control. So we take control. We can decide, right? That's what we need to keep the subcortex, the amygdala, the emotional regulation, which is involuntary. It's impulse, right? It's impulse. It's our drives that we're not controlling, right, that is being modulated by what's happening in the prefrontal cortex at the top. So that essentially will look like we try to balance the good with the bad, meaning that we're, we try to achieve our basic desires, but at the same time avoiding consequences. That's right. Because the it isn't worried about consequences. It's just me, 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 pleasure, 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 sex, sex, food, food. And the ego's like, all right, well, I'm going to eat right now because I'm hungry, but I'm not going to eat too much because I don't want to have a stomach ache and I don't want to gain too much weight because I, I got I to gotta stay slim for this upcoming football season. That's right. And then the superego kind of like not only suppresses, but punish, will punish you mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. you're not living up to your ideal self. Yeah. Yeah, and so then the, the there's also this other layer, which I guess we should probably talk about, which I'm just thinking about for the first time, which is when the ego and superego are interacting, right? That's judgment. That's where we have this sort of process where our decision-making capacity, you know, or, or in our voluntary control, our free will, our will is now interacting with the demands of the world around it, which are ultimately for us, in also in communication with the id, are, I think, enabling a, uh, an understanding of what it takes to survive. This is now survival instinct starts to take over, and we understand that ultimately the behavior that we have to abide by is the one that's most acceptable for the world around us, right? I think a lot of people get confused about using the term ego. It's like, like Antonio Brown said on the shop, I don't have an ego. Like people get it confused. I think with the it almost people think it's like our, our selfish side Mm -hmm. when reality, the, the ego is kind of the thing that balances the, the selfishness with the, the societal standards. That's right. Um, everyone has an ego. Everyone has an id. Everyone has a superego. Some people have less well-developed superegos and egos and are based and function more off their id, and that gets a lot of people in trouble. Oh, that's right. That's right. And it's a, a big problem for young folks, right, because, you know, those higher faculties, you know, that higher level of consciousness is not fully developed quite yet. That's why accidents and suicides are the two leading causes of death in adolescence because they're running more off their id and they don't have that prefrontal cortex, that ego, that superego to kind of rein them in right. as well. So. Or even most importantly, the judgment, right? The ability to discern the conscientiousness, right? To understand the consequences of their behavior, mm-hmm. right? Of yeah. what the decision-making of the ego, right? And how it affects yeah. the world around them and how, you know, and that's the superego, right? That's yeah. the communication Let me, let me put this into an example. So back in college, when you used to, to, to put back about 12 beers and a night and you're staying up till 3, 4 a.m. partying and maybe you get pizza afterwards, you're not worrying about the next day. You're going to sleep in and be fine, and maybe you'll wake up at 1 and catch the uh, 1 o'clock NFL games on a Sunday. Right. Now, in your 30s, you may be like, well, after a couple beers in, around 10 o'clock, you're like, well, I, I want to get eight hours of sleep because I want to feel well-rested on Sunday because i got to go to church or, or I have to start working on this project that's due on Monday when I go into work. So you start to balance. Your, your judgment comes into play. You're starting to balance what's in the future. You're not just kind of sacrificing the future for, for the present moment. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just more, I guess, more thoughtful mm-hmm. would be a way to put it. Yeah. When, you're, when your ego and superego are, are more well-developed and when your prefrontal cortex is more well-developed. Yeah, I mean, 
wh- how can how can we help? Like, <laughs> you know, like where where do we come into all of this as psychiatrists? Well, I wanted to talk, uh, I guess, a little bit about how can we better understand certain athletes that may uh, display certain behaviors that are are caustic or not tasteful. And I want to talk a little bit about adverse childhood events or ACEs. Mm, um, yeah. Something that Armin and I have I've learned about through our, our psychiatry residencies and fellow in my fellowship. Um, so that's adverse childhood events could be a range of things: physical, sexual, emotional abuse, neglect, um, any type of household dysfunction. So maybe you have a substance using father or mother, uh, divorce, domestic violence. Um, maybe you have an incarcerated relative, um, community violence around you and your neighborhood. Any of these can be defined as an ACE. So greater than 60% of all individuals have at least one ACE. Wow. Okay. So, and then 25% have three or more. And having a single ACE or adverse childhood event increases your risks for having another one. And what does this do? Why is this important? When you have these ACEs, mm-hmm. This disrupts your development, your neurodevelopment specifically. And what we talked about before, the prefrontal cortex, that area that is in control of your judgment, that kind of helps you develop your ego and superego, that becomes smaller in someone that suffers ACEs. And guess what becomes bigger? The amygdala, the emotion center. So you're going to surprise, gonna, surprise. Yeah. And it's going to impact your stress hormones and your stress response, like cortisol, what we talked about in the sleep podcast, episode number 15. So what is this going to mean? This is going to mean you're going to be more impulsive. You're going to have difficulty with mood regulation. You're going to dissociate more often. Yeah, and, and let's define mood regulation, okay? We're talking about coping with stress. We're talking mm-hmm. about not allowing this, you know, or everyone's going to succumb to stress at some point, right? But we're talking about having some resiliency, particularly to withstand like the typical, you know, day-to-day pressures of life. Right. And not mm-hmm. not decompensating in terms of, you know, your ability to go to work and yeah. perform at a high level. And what hap- when you can't regulate your mood, then you're making decisions based off what mood state you're in. Mm-hmm. You're mood dependent when you're making decisions. So when mood you're upset, yeah. everyone knows when you're upset, you don't make the best decisions. Um, you become more sensitive to fearful stimuli. So you're almost you get in that fight or flight quicker. Whenever someone, you see someone in fight or flight, that's a scary situation because guess what they're going to do? They're going to either fight or flight. And it, it impacts your anger management, your frustration tolerance. And then it goes as far as f- affecting your cognitive, emotional, and social relationships and, and abilities. You, in turn, look to more risky behaviors. It, it increases your risk for substance abuse, unprotected sex, and ultimately leads to disability, disease, and early death. Aces. And this all starts at a young age. And uh, this is common stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, and there's other layers to this as well. There's inter- intergenerational trauma, which we also talked about in the substance abuse podcast, and what makes an athlete unique podcast um, from mother to fetus through epigenetics, also through if a mom is pregnant and is, is a victim of trauma or is around these different stressors. She's going to have more increased cortisol, which is going to go to the fetus, which is going to affect the fetuses or the baby's ability to manage stress when it's born. So these are all things that are kind of almost like invisible tattoos, if I can borrow something from Dr. Parham, um, the director of the MBPA Mental Health that Initiative. Was deep. Yeah, they're, they're there and nobody really realizes it. And it's impacting individuals' ability to to do all these things and ultimately function. And that can lead to a lot of the, the um, negative things that we see people do on TV. But in that same breath, in that same person, you might have an athlete who is using their childhood trauma or their ACE as fuel to the fire to become successful, fuel to that work ethic, that killer instinct, that reason why they want to be the best. Um, possibly it's because of the adversities, this huge adversities they, they faced as a child that have made them kind of be able to, to have the confidence that they can overcome extreme challenges. And not only that, maybe the changes to the neurobiology were actually beneficial in the moment and the ability to kind of play off those emotions is actually a great thing. Um, but it's a fine line because at the same time, 
we're trying to preach awareness, awareness of your emotional state. Ultimately, is a better way to know yourself. Lack of conscientiousness, right? And we have a study on this. Right? We we have a study that we looked at, which talked about this really important principle of psychological or mental flexibility. So, what? this kind of mental flexibility is, is actually a core tenet of ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy, which Dr. Armin Hose delightfully described in um, What We Can Do podcast. Right. I forget right. what episode number that is. But it means it's the ability to stay in contact with the present moment regardless of unpleasant thoughts, feelings, and bodily sensations. And this is the key part. While choosing one's behaviors based on the situation and personal values. Mm-hmm. So essentially being able to, to shut out all the distractions and at the end of the day, relying on your own individual personal values to make a decision in that moment. I think here's, here's probably the, the most stressful moment in sports. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's, there's several. Um, what I can think of that would be a basketball reference would be, imagine you get fouled with one second left on the clock all right, fourth quarter, um, your team's down by one to shooting foul. Two shots? Two shots for the win, okay? That one, um, bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases are loaded, okay? Um, World Series, game seven, your team is down by three, all right? Um, I don't know who has more pressure on him in that moment, the, the pitcher or the batter. The free but. throw line thing, it just I remember watching a player yeah. um, for Memphis years ago, and I think it was the NCAA tournament, Darius Washington. He had, They were down t- two, and he had three. He, he got fouled shooting at three, and he had three free throws. That'd actually be worse, yeah, because it's like now it's like more opportunities yeah. to potentially fail. And I'm pretty fail. sure he missed the, if fir- you're thinking he made about the it first one. Negatively, yeah. And missed this, and then kind of got like was shaking his head up and down like I got this and I think he missed the second too. Overconfident maybe? I know I'm not sure but it oh was devastating just watching that and I'm not even a, I wasn't even a Memphis basketball fan. But I like that analogy. So if you have good mental flexibility, how do you react in those situations? Third down, third down warriors. Third down, third down, you know, third down warriors. Th- so here's the thing. <laughs> I think traditionally people like to measure quarterbacks, rank quarterbacks according to stats, like stat lines, just like with running backs, like how many yards, yards per carry, um, how many touchdowns, like this and that. I think all those things are great, but I actually have ever since, uh, you know, I can, as long as I can remember, I'm all about the eye test, Okay. And one of the things that you can get from a good eye test, particularly watching football, all right, is you can look at and sort of keep mental track of how a quarterback, a team, does on third downs, all right? And when you see a, a consistent execution on third down, I have always considered that that particular person, that particular quarterback, is at least a really good quarterback, you know, because that's when the money's on the table, right? There's more pressure on third down than there is on any other play, you know, or fourth down if you decide to go mm. forward, of course. Um, but it's when you have no other options, yeah. you know, the pressure is at the highest. How do you perform? You know, how are you able to withstand stress and conscientiousness, is kind of the key to that lock, you know, just opens that door right up because it's about, you know, in going back to this, you say we call it mental flexibility, right? Psychological flexibility. That's a psychological term for this. But at the end of the day, it's the ability to, as you said, you know, stay in the moment and ultimately, you know, as a great scorer might say, pick your own spots in terms of how you will apply your energy, how you will, you know, dictate your emotions, what you will respond to and how you will respond to it. Coming through in the clutch. So going back to your your third down analogy, 
the quarterback on third down has thoughts that come into his head. If I don't make this throw, we're going to have to punt and we may lose the game. And he may feel, he may have an emotion and feel tense or anxious. But when you have good psychological flexibility, well, that or, means or, you. Or, or check this out. Can, what if the coach, you know, the, whoever mm-hmm. the play caller is, offensive coordinator or whatever head coach, what if they call an absurd play that you know or you have a pretty good idea is probably not going to work out? Yeah. That's got to rattle. So you. you can be angry or upset, and then you might, your muscles might start feeling tense. So you got these thoughts, these feelings, and these bodily sensations on this, in the, during this stressful third down. And despite all this, you're able to go back to who you are in the situation to quote unquote your your personal skill set or values or your resilience and you're able to make the play despite all that. So that's that's an example within the sport, but if you take it to the broader scale, say you're doing a post-game press conference and this reporter that's been grilling you all season writing these ridiculous articles asks you a question that you perceive as dumb. And you have that thought in your head, oh my gosh, this guy's asking me the same stupid question. And then you feel frustrated. And then maybe you're, 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 you're tensing up. And you're, but you take all that into account and you still stick to your personal values. You don't go, hey, Steve, fuck you. Kind of similar to what Baker Mayfield did. He kind of said, that, that's a dumb question. And he stormed off on a recent yeah. press conference. Yeah. And that's fine. Did he stick to his personal values? I don't know. But someone who has mental flexibility can kind of realize, despite feeling angry, despite having a thought about this being a stupid question, despite feeling really tense, they stick to their values in that situation, mm-hmm. and they respond based on their values. Yeah. So if their values are to be a little bit condescending and, and, and cocky and, and confident in that situation and let it be known that that's a dumb question, that's fine. But if their values are, I always must be respectful, then in that situation they'll be like, They'll answer. Maybe they'll answer the question, but they yeah. they still remain respectful. Yeah, and on a different level, though, you know, we have to you have to kind of make it clear what was wrong with that picture, right? When Baker Mayfield is speaking to the press in that capacity, right? All cameras, you know, pointed in his direction. National, if not international, television. That's stressful. He's representing Cleveland Browns. He's representing the city of Cleveland. He's not just Baker Mayfield. He's Baker Mayfield, the quarterback. He's representing the NFL. The National Football League. Really the country, you know, in mm-hmm. some ways. If you really want to, you know, kind of, you know, get all like, you know, philosophical with it. And the point I'm making, though, is that he also has to respect those values. So that's when factoring in that situation matters. Yeah. And the reason this is important is because if you have strong psychological flexibility or strong mental flexibility, this study that we looked at, when you have that, you have a stronger identity and you have less of a chance of becoming burnt out. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows that feeling. Armand and I definitely felt it in med school and in residency. And I'm sure a lot of people felt it in like relationships and different things where you get to the point of you just don't enjoy it anymore. You want to do Anything but what you're doing. Yeah, you're exhausting to even think about. You're exhausted. You're burnt out. Everyone's had that feeling at some point in their lives, whether it's their job or a relationship. And that's not a good place to be. So if you have strong mental flexibility, you stick to your values despite different distractions, you're you're not going to get burned out. That's why we went into psychiatry, low burnout rates. (laughs) Yeah, um, because I guess we... Work-life balance. Good work-life balance, and I feel like we definitely find ways to keep things new and exciting. You know, yeah, we don't have to sit in the OR, stand in the OR for yeah, twelve hours. Never really a, a, a dull moment. Uh, Not a that. lot of pimping in psychiatry, fortunately. Um, so those values are important. That's why I, I ultimately always respect an athlete who seems to stick to their personal values and seems to know the situation regardless of whether or not I agree with them, if, if that's who they are and they're being genuine, I think it's, it's, it's something that's honorable. Mm-hmm. And it's like Armin and I, Armin mentioned before, um, it's something if when we, like, it's something that we would want our kids to, to look up to. Someone who's confident and conscientious and Absolutely. resilient. No doubt. Yeah, all those great things. You know, and, and who's winning, for sure. You know, at a high level, but doing it the right way. 
if you're not burned out, you're more likely to put more effort into your your game and you're going to do better. Yeah. If we're burned out at work, we're not going to do as good of a job. If you're not burned out, you're going to play better and you're going to win more. Yeah. So how do we promote these values within the, the, the sports community as psychiatrists? Well, right. going back, I guess this podcast is one way to do it, but going back to the, the ACEs, the adverse childhood events, I think for the, those individuals, it's about early intervention. Mm-hmm. It's about giving these individuals basic resources. At the end of the day, it's as easy as that. Having resilient caregivers around or role models, whether that's, a, if, it's, if it's not a mother or father, it's a relative or it's a coach or it's a pastor or it's a teacher. Someone that can be a role model, someone mm-hmm. that can provide a secure attachment. So on that nurturing relationships, it's all about forming social connections. That's how you overcome adverse childhood events. And that's how you overcome this, this disrupted kind of development where you're really impulsive and you're fearful and you're always on edge and you go to fight or flight and you're, you're quick to react and you're quick to blame other people Mm -hmm. because you're not, you're not using the front part of your brain. You're using just the, that, that amygdala, that emotional cortex. Yeah. And, and, it's all about building relationships and being understanding. That's how you overcome this. Absolutely. Early intervention is key. And, you know, all that's spoken like a great uh, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And unfortunately, a, a lot of these uh, athletes don't really come into sort of the public eye until adolescence. Um, and, you know, in, in some ways, it can kind of be a little late in the game at that stage for an, you know, an early intervention, right? Cause a lot of, a lot of experiences have been had, you know, and have been processed yeah. I, or not, or not processed, you know, appropriately, uh, probably in most cases. And, and so what, what we now have is sort of like the aftermath and, and kind of, um, you know, the pieces that, you know, we ultimately want to put back together and so I personally am a huge advocate, you know, of, of what, you know, the NBA Players Association has been advocating and, you know, other groups are kind of slowly um, falling in line with is creating these mental health and wellness programs that are wide ranging, all encompassing, and that, you know, really try to get at the athlete and the uh as as an individual well the athlete from the inside out not focused on performance but focused on wellness focused on wellness absolutely and you know one of the things that i you know i want to say with respect to this wellness program is i think in order for this to work it should be done the right way and there are so many things that you just mentioned in in your analysis of what we could do as a child and adolescent psychiatrist for a young athlete. When you think about like a professional organization, like a sports franchise, and what can be done at that level, and what kind of resources could be committed at that level, uh, I think, again, we're beyond early intervention, but we're certainly not beyond hope. I think that with... Uh, a wide-ranging array of mental health programming to include things like family therapy. 100%. You know, group therapy among, you know, groups of teammates, excuse me, maybe that have had certain traumas. Cases. Like violence, like sexual assault, right? How about those guys and those ladies get into a room? They talk it out, they hash it out, they form a support network, right? Um, Couples therapy, right? Between husbands and wives, partners, you know, a a friendlier environment in which, for example, uh, you know, gays, you know, lesbians, transgenders, et cetera, can feel comfortable in their space, right? You're you're nurturing social Um, connections. All of these different things are so important for a healthy work environment that's going to translate into the performance and, you know, having a great product on the field or the court, but a wide ranging wellness program. 
And these are the kinds of things that while we're not talking about early intervention, what we are talking about is still prevention, prevention, because these athletes are going to come into the organization. And from day one, they're going to be invited into a support group that can provide you know, treatment on multiple levels, right? And I just want to say this one uh, additional thing. You know, not everyone, in fact, most people are not going to need the support of a regular psychiatrist, okay, in terms of medication management. And we understand that. I sort of envision a psychiatrist as being more of an executive and leadership role, you know, in terms of planning and, and coordinating and, you know, certainly prescribing if need be, although, you know, I know a lot of nurse practitioners, you know, qualify to do that as yeah, well. it's like educating, um, um, educating triaging, um, identifying what Well, program to be management, yeah, you program know. Man- developing the, pro- yeah, developing, yeah. And, and all of that. But, you know, what I... What I also understand is, and what I, I, I really want everyone, uh, you know, fans alike, to, to understand is that mental health is, is more than just about illness, right? It's about wellness. It's about healthier minds, healthier living, right? Spiritually, socially, you know, with our families, with our communities, and, and really forging and strengthening these connections, these social connections that you mentioned earlier. Right. And so that's, you know, it's beyond just psychiatrists and psychologists and social workers, right? And clinical folks. It's also about coaches, non clinical people that maybe of a mental health variety, we call them wellness coaches, Mm -hmm. right? My, My practice at Latitude Mental Health, you know, we promote wellness coaching. You know, we have wellness coaching as an additional form of care to really address more of the issues of, you know, how do I translate these internal strengths that I have, that we're talking about these resilience, into having better success, not just on the field or on the court, but in my family life, right? In my community, as a teammate, right? In the locker room. How do these qualities translate? How do I make them work for me? How as a quarterback do I come into the league, you know, as a top pick and deal with those pressures, you know, mm-hmm. as, a, as a pitcher? How do I, you know, withstand the, the, the loss, you know, of having given up that key single Kershaw. in that key moment that ended the series for my team, right? How do I, how do I bounce back from that, right? There's so many different issues. And mm-hmm. we're not just talking about depression or anxiety, these things that persist and are chronic, but just stuff that we just kind of need to sort out and deal with that could, you know, maybe lead to depression. But if we can, if we can, you know, address and have the resources right there on hand to address that issue today, man, you know? Yeah. And I think it's not only the issues that happen on the baseball field or the football field or the basketball court, but the issues off the court. Like, how do you, as a um, Colin Kaepernick, how do you decide to shut out all the noise and stick to your personal values? As a LeBron James, how do you decide to comment on the the issue going on in China or Hong Kong? Are you sticking to your personal values? Because you're in the spotlight and people are looking at you. And at the end of the day, you're going to be judged based off not just your playing ability. And good or bad, that's the position they're in. Just like if Armin and I were to do something horrible, that's going to put a stain on psychiatry. Mm -hmm. Just like if an athlete does something horrible, it's going to put a stain on their sport. So I guess to wrap this podcast up, we're, we're trying to the identity of an athlete is just is more than just an athlete like lebron said mm-hmm. it's it's so many different things and we're talking about doing things the right way we're talking about having strong mental flexibility or psychological flexibility and that's what armin's talking about putting systems in place to allow athletes to be themselves and to right. always stick to their values and uh above all to reach their full potential Right. That's what this is about. You know, it's about wellness. It's about performing, you know, at your best 
um, and, you know, representing yourself and your family and your community, you know, uh, in the best possible way. You know, and, and you know, I don't, I don't want to give this impression that athletes should be held to a standard that is so significantly different than a regular person. I mean, we all make mistakes and we all should be afforded second chances. And I think we're just trying to preach understanding. Absolutely. Understanding. I think we are also uh, making a case for the notion that I think we're all for athlete empowerment. Right. And I think, you know, as fans, we, you know, generally support these movements of athletes being not just beacons of the community in theory, but also in in practice now, you know, with these guys coming forward and establishing their positions on social justice issues and political issues, right? Like, this is all gravy. This is all good. I think we all, we like it. We appreciate it. We understand that they have very large and influential platforms. Social media has given athletes, you know, an incredible amount of influence. Direct access to everyone. And and I think, you know, it, it really goes back to the the old adage of to much is given, much is required, right? And so I think it is important to appreciate the the power of that platform, the power of the ability to reshape the identity of the athlete, you know, the traditional masculine sort of Show no weakness. Yeah, show no weakness. Yeah, yeah. Rub some dirt on it. Yeah, I mean, and now it's like we care. We have sensitivities. You know, we have families. My father. We have you know loved ones, and 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 I completely agree. And so with that, we have to now embrace our collective values. And I think professional athletes, in particular, you know, have to be people who are representing our, our collective values. And we also have to keep in mind that not everyone shares the same values. So there's always going to be some sort of disagreement. But with disagreement, there should still be that underlying understanding Absolutely. that you lived a different life than me. So that's the reason that you came to this viewpoint. It's totally different than mine, but that's okay. Maybe I can learn a little bit from you. And maybe you can learn a little bit from me. But get to a point where you're not just writing someone off because they don't agree with you on, on, on one idea. I think ultimately giving each individual and especially not especially athletes, but each, each individual and even athletes, the benefit of the doubt that they're, they're, they're humans too. And ideally if they're staying something out in the public, that's based off their own personal values that they believe in, that that should be respected you may not agree with it, but you should. It should be respected. Oh, absolutely! And open up that conversation. It's all about conversation. Yeah, and and really, when you you boil it all down, <clears throat> we really do have a set of core values. And by collective values, I'm referring to those core values. President Obama was always really good about touching on this notion. And I really believe that he got elected on his ability to tap into this awareness of the fact that we all do have certain things that we can agree on, right? These are things that we learn in childhood play, right? These are the the reasons why we participated in sports and got that thrill. We're social beings. Yeah. There's a goodness in all of our hearts that connects all of us. And like you mentioned, there's certain tenets that everyone can agree on. So, you know, integrity. You know, I think that, you know, is sort of the first, you know, first Everyone loves someone who's genuine. Absolutely. Um, You know, I think teamwork, right? Someone that can kind of put the mission first. Dedication kind of goes in, in the same hand with sacrifice. I think discipline, which I also think to mean is, is, you know, is like 
commitment, you know, committing to something. Like a strong work ethic. Strong work ethic, exactly, which is a great segue to, I think, the fifth component, which is hard work. Really just, you know, kind of putting your your all into it, you know, not skipping steps, you know, or cutting corners, uh, but showing up every day, you know. Uh, the greats always say, you know, they the, the first to practice and the last to leave, right? Um, they're setting an example, right? Uh, a standard. Yeah, and, and you touched on that earlier about how yeah. that's why we love athletes because we know they're hardworking, they're dedicated to their craft, they're for the most part, well, a lot of them are, some of them are, aren't the best teammates, but most of them know how to work well as a member of a team and, and put yeah. the, their individual yeah, and, needs aside for the greater good. Right, absolutely. And effort is really, I think, the key to that that fifth effort. principle, right? That fifth value. Because, you know, not everyone is as skilled, you know, and we remember, we remember those kids, the Rudy story, mm-hmm. right? Not everyone really has all the talent, um, but you can still be a great competitor. Yeah. If it, you have that value. Back in the day, it's when all the, the announcers usually describe the uh, scrappy white guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's got a motor on him. Oh, he's really, he's really shifty. He's got deceptive speed. Oh, he's a gym rat. He's a hard worker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, and so, <laughs> <laughs> these are these are the values that I think we all really admire in athletes. As children, these are the things we looked up to. Um, as adults, these are the things that we respect. Well, I mean, just think about someone that you look up to. Think about someone that you respect. Think about someone that you have a connection with. Most likely that individual is genuine and honest, hardworking, dedicated, someone that other people want to be around, someone that gets along with others really easily. Also something we didn't mention, most likely this person's confident. And I know me being a kid, um, a kind of shy reserve kid watching sports growing up, I was always attracted to the guys that portrayed confidence. And maybe it was someone who had a lot of swagger, like King Griffey Jr. with his backwards hat. Or maybe it was someone like Barry Sanders, and he, he was just would score touchdown effortlessly and just hand the ball to the referee. And I kind of lived vicariously through these guys. I saw that they were hardworking, dedicated, good teammates. And, and I wanted to be confident just like they, they were. And when you embody these types of values, that's how the connection with your community, your fan base is cemented, yeah. right? Because, you know, these are the, those, those collective values. And this is the type of connection that can really transcend a Colin Kaepernick story, right? Because then you may not have that divisiveness maybe just maybe maybe you have you would have more of an understanding certainly not by everyone right you'll never please everyone uh yeah it's tough to do with the colin kaepernick story because that's just but i think what happens is that it does you know i think it does elevate your voice and i think it does give that platform more credibility and, you know, I think that that is something in terms of identity that all athletes can aspire to. Yeah, that's how you connect to reflect the values that everyone values. Integrity, discipline, dedication, hard work, effort, teamwork. What more do you want in an individual? That's right. So with that. Let's end the stigma. And let's continue the conversation. Mm-hmm.